So just having agile teams does not necessarily lead to different business outcomes. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. I have a special guest. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. So, Dragos, I'm going to try to pronounce his last name correctly. Dumitriu. How close was I? You got it. I did. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Off to a good start. All right. So, it's Dragos. All about good, it's all about good enough, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> close enough. I guess so. But there's always room for improvement, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, Dragos is a managing consultant at Leading Agile. And today, we're going to talk about uh, a topic. The title for this podcast is Simply Having Agile Teams Does Not Make an Agile Organization. So we're going to get into that in a second. Um, before we do, Dragos, would you be willing to share a little bit about your very diverse background, kind of what, what led you to the path where we're having this conversation today? Thank you. Huh. Well, where should I start? So um, I've been in IT for, for over 20 years. And in technology, not necessarily IT, it could also be product development, work for companies like Microsoft and Avanade and Accenture. And I would say the journey in Agile started about in 2005. I took a Scrum Master class with Ken Schwaber. I was working for Microsoft at the time, and he had his first or second class in the Redmond area. Then I went back to work at Microsoft and uh, started to pilot. Um, at a time where Agile was not allowed, we, we just implemented a very strict SDLC software development lifecycle with a very strict mission to curb and, and, and to eliminate shadow IT. <laughs> um, and somehow I was actually able within a year and a half after piloting Scrum to introduce something called um, SDLC Lite, but this was actually iterative approach to, to do what we were doing based on Scrum. That's kind of how it started. And um, soon after that, I started to manage a different team and uh, Scrum did not work for us. Um, obviously, whatever was done before traditional SDLC was not, did not work either. And whatever I did with that team has become the genesis for what now is the Kanban method as described by David Anderson. And, and the story of the team at Microsoft is in chapter four of his book. Wow. And um, I would say about seven years ago, I, I was back at Microsoft and David contacted me and he says, hey, you know, Kanban is really taking off. Why don't you come and help me? And, you know, uh, I said to myself, if not now, then when, right? So, um, so for the past seven years, I've been doing consulting and coaching in the areas of um, agility. Okay. So before we get into the topic, I'd like to ask you one really quick question. If you, since you have this expertise in Kanban, how do you how would you quickly and briefly explain the difference between Scrum and Kanban to someone who wasn't clear on the distinction? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't look for differences between the methods. I would ask them about the outcomes, about what are they trying to accomplish? What kind of teams do they have? And what, what is their role? Are they leading an organization? Are they managing a team? Are they working on their own and they just need to, to get more productive and perhaps you know they could use a... Um, simple visual board, you know, to manage their work. But I wouldn't differentiate between the two. They're both great. They work well. And um, it's a matter of fit and a matter also of what you have available if you okay. are, if you run an organization. Cool. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That was really good. Um, all right. So when, when I first, when we first kind of picked up this topic, 
which just again for the folks that are listening, um, simply having agile teams does not make an agile organization. My initial thought was that we're saying that teams is not enough, which is sort of what we're saying, but sort of not what we're saying. So how how would you kind of at a high level explain what what the topic is here? Well, I think the best way, instead of explaining it, is is to go through a couple of examples, or actually, rather, I would say, patterns that I have seen for a good, you know, ten, twelve years now since I started to to travel and to work with different organizations. I was seeing them before in my work, but here is one pattern. Um, I got a phone call one day. I was managing an agile practice in Washington D.C., and we get a phone call from a potential client and says, "Hey, you know, we need some help." We would love to tell our story about how agile we are and about how agile we have become in the last two years. And I said, okay, well, tell me more. And I knew the industry they were in. I knew kind of what they were doing. This is a very large, very large organization um, working across all the 50 United States. Complex, right? And they say, well, we have these teams. We have four teams, and they, they've been doing Scrum for, for two years. And uh, we think we're pretty good, but the business is not really happy with, with uh, what we're producing at, at the end of the day. And to make a long story short, I said, hey, would it be fair to assume that based on what I know about your business and your industry, would it be fair to say that upstream from you, there's a huge organization, part of your overall enterprise, that has to do with requirements, it has, you know, is interacting with customers and then they come back to you with requests, right? Not gonna call them requirements, not gonna call them projects, not gonna call them products, whatever they are. And said, yeah, fair enough, that, that's a very large organization upstream of us. And I continued saying, you know, would it be fair to say that downstream from you, there's also a fairly large organization that has to do with compliance and all the regulations that you're subject to. And that once you give something to them, it probably takes a good, you know, months or so to, to put that, you know, whatever you give them in production. I said, absolutely. And I said, I, I have two more questions. One question is, two years ago, ago before you embarked on this um, agile path, how often were you deploying to production? And they said, you know, quarterly. Great. How about today? How often are you deploying to production today? And they said, quarterly. So from the perspective of their customers, the rate of deployment did not change, yet that's what the customer was expecting, right? They were expecting perhaps more, but perhaps faster and perhaps, you know, higher throughput and, and faster time to market. They were expecting better quality. They were expecting a lot of things. So we worked with them and we helped them improve their agility from their business um, customer perspective. It took probably eight to 12 months after that. However, at the time, they're not able to show anything or much difference, right? So in this case, you have about 40 people working in monthly sprints saying they've been doing Agile for two, for two years and not from a customer perspective, the customer does not see any different results. Another pattern I have seen um, with Agile teams, and this is quite different, they were using two-week sprints they've had a very good technology. And by that, I would say they were well integrated. So, so they didn't have continuous, they had some degree continuous integration and continuous deployment, right? They were able to deploy to production on demand. From the moment they would start their deployment process, it would take somewhere between two and three days um, to, to, to have something in production. And for them, you know, they're, they're, they're fairly advanced from that perspective. And yet, 
when they engaged with us, the CEO started the conversation by saying, we can't get anything done anymore. I said, well, things that used to take two weeks, they started to take months, then they started to take quarters, and now nothing gets done unless escalated or unless someone escalated. So here, here you are, you, you have teams that operate very well in Scrum. Uh, you, they have very good practices and yet nothing gets done. So in this pattern, what we found out and what we helped them manage was that an organization of about 70 people, they've had over 2,000 items in progress in Jira at that point in time. And they were up to four years old. And what they ended up doing, they ended up starting things. And they would never finish anything, but they continuously kept starting things. Now, this was a bit out of their control. Um, what happened, the pattern that we have seen with both kinds of organizations is that when the customer does anything, they get into a habit of escalating. And those could be internal customers, could be external customers, or a combination of both. And then the person that yells loudest, they get something finished for them, many times at the expense of everything else the organization is, is doing for the same customer or at the expense of their peers, right? So that's how they ended up with 200 things in progress. We went down, we cleaned it up. Uh, in that case, we went down to 400. At some point, we, we, we went down to about 32 things. And we said, you know, you cannot have more than 32 things in progress. And the result, the end result over time, some teams were working in Scrum, some teams were working continuous delivery flow like Kanban. Um, they ended up with a delivery rate about 60, 60 deliverables per week, which was insane. It was, it was really mind-blowing. I did not expect that level of performance. So when you got it down to those 30 items, is that because you delivered all the other ones or, or were you like kind of scraping things out of the backlog you didn't need? No. So when you look at the backlog and you see things inactive, right, uh, that are three to four years old and you have developers and, and you know, uh, dev managers telling you, oh, yeah, you know, we still have to, to get that done sometime. When you talk to the business, the business is like, what are you talking about? We don't, we're not even using that product anymore. <laughs> so do you think that business has a responsibility? Like, I, I, this is the thing that I'm actually curious about because my background is all project management and I, my lean friends are always like, you know, throw it away. If you need it, it'll come back. And I'm like, no, I have to have historical records of everything. Yeah. Um, do you think that there should be a mechanism where whoever asked for the thing has to like say, I don't need that anymore? Well, not or is it on the people to go back and say, do you still need this? Yeah, it's not necessarily in those words, but I would have a quarterly review or a semi-annual review of things that have been in the backlog that you may have not even started. In this case, these folks, they were working. They had things that started. Yeah. They started on them two years ago, three years ago, last year. They were still not finished because priorities kept changing, right? But then you also have things that you haven't started that are still in your backlog. And yes, absolutely, you should review those. Yeah. I would review. Um, but this, when you, when you work in a chaotic mode, uh, when there is no predictability, when the quality is, 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 is mixed, right? Um, people get, they're, they're busy, but they're not productive and they forget and they don't see anything else that's around them. Yeah. Um, 
go through a transformation or if you start to get organized and you start to get through through improving your throughput, improving your time to market, you start to you have to actively backlog, right? Okay. Can I go back to the first case that you talked about? Yes. I want to ask, I didn't want to interrupt you in the middle of the flow, but I wanted to ask a question about that. So they had one month sprints and quarterly releases. Um, is there is, is there a specific reason that they stayed with one month that they didn't try to change that to a shorter time box? Or, Betty, you, you, you picked on something that, uh, yeah, I asked, not on the phone. So that was an interview. Of course, they, they asked me if I can start working with them on Monday. Um, <laughs> um, I did start working with them even after I told them that, that nothing really changed from the customer perspective and I didn't expect them to ask right away for me to go help them. But um, when we looked at the reasons why they've had one month sprints and probably people listening to this are already experiencing or they have seen the pattern, they had one month sprints because, again, the complexity of the organization, because of the dependencies. Okay the exponential dependencies that they have. They could have done their work in a week, but nobody was available to support them in completing that deliverable. So they've had a lot of dependencies outside their core team. So it's a month because of inefficiencies of flow yeah. or in the flow right. because of right. a couple. Right, Okay. yeah, right. Their, their flow efficiency was minimal. They could barely get anything done. In, in, they barely had anything to show for a month of work. And so, okay. And so what was the reason for not delivering, you know, waiting to the end of the quarter? Why couldn't they deliver at the end of the month? Very complex, very, very complex organization um, that was using products built probably 20 years ago. Okay. That they never really changed, right? So they're like monolithic. Um, very high degree of compliance and in order for them to implement a change, they've had a vast, I have never seen such a network of dependencies before and after, right? So okay. it was one of the most complex um, ecosystems I have seen. But despite that, once what we, we did work with them first was um, look at the transition of work from engineering to operations, so that whole DevOps spectrum, right? right? So we had to help them at least show them that they need to make an investment in that area and improve their delivery. Um, the problem was not in engineering, traditional software engineering uh, teams, right? There was a, the major challenge that I have seen, it was much more important to invest in the deployment, uh, in their deployment processes and deployment technologies and then work with the organization to align and coordinate the work that they would commit to, to take in, to deliver at the end of a sprint, and align better with their counterparts in their complex ecosystem, right? So the changes were dramatic again. However, it took a very long time. I would say it was one of the longest, uh, I wouldn't call it necessarily a transformation, but I the longest intervention, but again, was not for lack of trying on anybody's part. It was just the pure complexity of the organization. I think one of the things that you mentioned that is so interesting is you had to first show them what was broken, then create a desire in them to, to do something about it, and then you can actually do the work of starting to try to help them. But there's, there's so much ramp up there to get them to see what's wrong. I mean, that's, that's a lot to take on. Absolutely. 
And again, another pattern that I have seen there was that when the business, when the business client asked them and funded them to become more agile, they sent people to training. Those people came back, they formed scrum teams in the engineering department. And, you know, two years later, they say, hey, we've been agile for two years. What else do you want? Right. So just having agile teams does not necessarily lead to different business outcomes. Okay. And I would say agile processes require a certain context in order to be effective. So when you say agile processes, agile methodologies, agile frameworks, right? Um, you need to form teams. You need to build backlogs. You need to measure the work that you do everywhere along the step, you know, every, everywhere along the way, what we call a value stream, right? And you need to control the work, the flow of work in a certain way, right? You want to make sure that, that the work flows. Usually the work doesn't flow, it's just stuck, right? And many times organizations are stuck in this delivery process somewhere, it's either in engineering or in deployment, both. So um, if you are not able to show different results, you're not going to be able to justify the investment that someone has made in, into your organization. And that's what I learned later on that was happening, right? They were, they were afraid that lose the funding and they would lose these teams because they're not able to show different results after two years. So they're going to be having trouble with this change no matter what. Um, what can you do to alleviate that? I mean, is there any way that you can help them cope with that as, as they're going through this? Because they're, they're still, try, I'm assuming, still trying to understand all the different implications of it, right? They might build these teams. They've had a little bit of training. They're slowly learning that everything in their organization is tied together. You're trying to, you know, change the tires while the car's driving down the road. Yeah, so it's important to establish an end state with leadership, right? And say, okay, ideally, what is the target? And that's, I, I actually, I'll take that back. Now, I wouldn't necessarily call it an end state, but it's a target state. Where, where would you, directionally, where would you like to be? Where would you like to go? And then you start from, sometimes you start from where they are. Sometimes you have to start with redesigning the organization. Okay. So we talked a minute ago about you, you know, walking in and helping them see what the problem is. I'm assuming that it's still fairly common to walk into an organization. I mean, I know that we're very careful about how we, you know, get to know our clients in the beginning, but um, a lot of people I'm assuming are still coming out and saying, I just, I need the agile. Give me the agile, you know, bring in your guys, turn us agile. You've got to teach them how to figure out what the problem they're solving is. Right. So, and also their outcomes. So what are the outcomes? Why? Why? Yeah. What's keeping you up at night? What's going on? Right. So usually uh, the conversation turns around one of many, many things, but it could be the most, the most are predictability, right? From a business perspective, they say, well, the business thinks we're highly unpredictable. They never know, you know, something that sometimes takes two weeks, some takes six months. Um, the quality is so-and-so. Sometimes, you know, um, part of that predict predictability and quality go hand in hand. Other times, and this is more what I have seen in industry lately, there is a focus on cost savings. So they want to know if we have to focus on cost savings, what 
you know, help us understand. So then, you know, you, perhaps you help them prioritize. Perhaps you have conversations at product level, perhaps at portfolio level. And sometimes you have to have conversations with them at the investment level. So we operate at these four tiers, right? From, from top to bottom, you have investment, then under investment portfolio, have product and then the product you have delivery teams okay so you 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 have to help with the organizations to understand where you're going because of course if you want a, a transformation you have to work across all four tiers um and you have to where it is it's not okay. always about product fit it's not always about predictability so you have to establish with them first of what's the most important what is the north star in this case what are we trying to accomplish but I would say, uh, to, to, to just summarize it, I would say it could be predictability, quality savings, product fit, innovation, or a combination of these things. Okay. So I, I want to comment it from a slightly different angle, uh, kind of related to the organizational stuff that we're talking about. If we agree that spinning up some teams and getting them really proficient at whatever practices they're using, that that... that doesn't solve problems. It just makes problems, maybe problems that are further down the line or, or before the teams makes them more obvious. Um, how does an organization know when it has achieved a state of business agility? Or is that something that just goes by the wayside because we realize that's not an outcome? The outcome is to be able to, you know, ship every week and learn and keep changing. Um, or, or is is there like a point where you, you can say we've achieved business agility? I don't think so. Um, some organizations have constraints and some of those constraints would require a lot of money to remove. Okay. Some organizations may never get anywhere but monthly deployments, let's say. Um, so you have to again what are you going and we have you know we have a vast and i don't i think that would be a perhaps a topic for a different conversation but that's that that you have to measure and they can fall into two categories you have a measure of the transformation making progress the other one you need to have measures around outcomes so when you see that time to market has dropped in half are you better off what was the cost? How, how much did it cost you to get here? So there is a return on investment on, on these transformations as well. But many times uh, it pays off. Uh, we okay. have had clients whereby establishing backlogs, by managing those backlogs and helping them see and understand the interdependence between how much work you can have in about to get something done. Um, Save, I would think the first fiscal year, they saved over $2 million. So what they produced was more and cheaper than what they produced the previous fiscal year by about $2 million. Wow. That also is the things that they cannot get to and they may as well not do. Yeah. Some of the things that have the highest value. So they might be able to say, I mean, and this kind of goes back to our model too with the base camps um, mm -hmm. in that you might get to a point where you recognize we are in an okay place for right now. We're going to, you know, pause here. 
they could say we've achieved enough business agility for the moment Mm -hmm. because to continue to break down all this coupling between all the systems is more costly to us in a variety of ways than we're willing to go through right now. Right. Yeah. We are in a much better place than where we were a year ago and we're really happy this works for us well right now. Okay. So I used to run IT operations, right? And the customers would, would, not be happy when there was an outage. And I said, look, here is the commitment that we've made. We made the commitment to have an uptime of 99.9% time, right? And really what you're expecting and what you described to me would map to what we call a 99.999 uptime. Yeah. And let me show you how we get a couple, you know, what each nine would cost, right? So I remember this conversation where from where we were at that time to where the, the customer would have loved to, you know, to be or to experience, it was about $18 million in cost. And they said, oh, my God, I didn't realize that's the case. Yeah. You know, we're really happy with what we have right now. Okay. And, we can, and we can live with it, right? So I don't know. I, I'm not a psychologist. <laughs> no, but I think what you just said is a really uh, yeah. important point is, is – yeah. Yeah, you, have to, yeah. you can always get better, but there is yeah. a point at which it's like, yeah, but you know. The, the economic cost, that, that's not worth it. I mean, and this, right. this plays out even, even to take it down to a personal level, because when Mike and I do interviews, you always talk about stuff like this. I can get to a certain percentage of body fat, but to lower it like another 1% might require such drastic efforts. That it's just like, do I really want to do that? Is it, is it going to right. change my life that much? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and, and you can do that, but you only do that like in a, in a competition mode, mode, right? And you can only get to that competition mode maybe, maybe twice a year. But other than that, it's not healthy. Right? Yeah. So the guy who plays Thor doesn't look like that all year round. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I feel better about that. Um, so, so if you know, we've got the base camp model, the, the companies are going through these stages and you've talked about metrics. Is there, um, are, are you able to have that conversation up front? Like if you're talking about outcomes you want to achieve, are they able to see up front that this, this particular step along the way, that'll be our stopping point for now? Or do they have to be educated along the way and get there so that they can say, well, you know, this is actually not so bad. We could sit with this for a while and then decide if we want to go on to the next step. So when we discuss the reasons why they want to engage with us and why they want to, to, to make a change, right? We have to talk about, uh, we have to baseline where they are right now. Yeah. And many times it's funny. It's, this is still happening. I, can, I still can't believe this is happening after all these years. To go into an organization that says, we want to be faster. And when I ask, well, how fast are you now? They have a puzzled look. Right. Uh, what, what do you mean? <laughs> you want to be faster than what? Well, faster than we are right now. Yeah. Well, how fast are you now? And we start laughing because they look at me like they think I'm trying to be funny and I'm not um, trying to be funny. There's someone else in our company who's trying to be funny, right? Uh, <laughs> um, then, then they say, well, okay, but you know, we also, we, we need to get more of these things done. And I say, well, how many are you getting now? So if you don't understand your time to market, if you don't know what your time to market is for your products, if you don't know what your throughput is, 
I know that you also have no idea about what prevents you to have faster time to market and have faster throughput. So right away, right up front, I would say, we have to help the clients understand and see that because that's what's going to motivate them to want a change. I'm not going yeah. there to, to make a change for the sake of change. I'm going there to tell the story of what is holding them back right now from moving faster and from doing more. And most of the times are decisions and processes and things that someone in the organization leads with best intentions. Yeah. So a lot of the things that we do with best intentions are counterintuitive and they have opposite results. Like let's start more work because we're going to get more work done. Well, the opposite is true. Well, and you just mentioned the companies like they, they say we need to do more things. We need to get more stuff mm -hmm. done, but if they don't know that they're building the right stuff in the first place, getting more stuff done doesn't help anyone at all. Exactly. exactly. So there's a lot of education. I mean, do you, do you find that customers are aware of the fact that a big part of the engagement up front is going to be educating and helping them see things they're not aware of? You know, I personally, I'm, I don't like to use words like education or teaching a client something. Okay. The way I, I put it in my own, and that's my personality. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to hear, hear your take on yeah. this. I turned the lights on. Okay. So I, I was teaching, um, I was, <laughs> here we go, I go into education, but this is different because I was teaching a train the trainer class. So there are people in there. So I, I uh, we, at some point, just for fun, we, we try to, to do an exercise. And I said, well, what are we doing? What are, what are we helping organizations do? Because I was trying to get something, a point across to them. This is not about training. And while, you know, they are there to be certified as trainers, what we do in the end is we, we help organizations get to better outcomes. And part of that exercise that we conducted at some, you know, take more like half an hour kind of, right? Like design thinking kind of exercise. Yeah. They came up, we came up with this concept of we turn the lights on. And somehow yeah. that, that stuck with me. And I used that with clients and I tested it. And, and yeah, they really liked it. I said, hey, you know, right now um, it's like either we're walking or we're driving, but imagine that if we're walking, we're walking around with our eyes closed or we are somewhere that's complete total darkness and we can't really tell. And we walk into things, we bump into things, we feel friction and we have to let something get by or we have to shuffle left or right as we try to find our way. And many times we just get lost. Or if we drive, it's like we're driving with no gauges. We're driving with the lights off. And even the windshield is like just a piece of solid metal that we can see through, right? So when we say, you know, how, how can we turn the lights on? By turning the lights on, you have professionals that are well-trained. They're very smart. I would say they're, they're smarter than I am and they're better at what they do than, you know, I, I can do their job. But by turning that lights on, I create for them that environment in order for them to self-orient and make better decisions. Now, that's scenario there's another scenario where by turning the lights on they don't know what to do and that's when we go through our base camp models that's where the base camp model comes in very helpful agility is not about adopting agile practices and when we say agile what are we talking about and for me it's like we can only talk about business agility right and this journey towards it's not it's not that you don't have business agility and 
you're going to business agility, right? You, you, you always want to have greater business agility. You want to have, to be better able to adapt to changes and to emerging changes that happen around you in the market with regulations and also emerging changes with technology. So how can you do that without a framework that you can tailor to your situation? And how can you do that without guidance towards this type of transformation? Yeah. Right. So I believe in self-empowered teams, but but those may as be just three words that that's a lot of times they they don't just don't resonate with organizations. Yeah, and it might take a while before that stuff actually clicks in, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So if you had one thing that for all the organizations that you deal with, if there was one thing that you could just like snap your fingers and they would all understand it about transformation before you got there. What would that be? They need to look at the um, outcomes that they, the different outcomes that they would like to have and try to understand what are they doing right now that's holding themselves back. Because I, you know, any, any, any outstanding um, case study that I can think of that, that I know or I worked on had to do with the same people doing about the same type of work and yet getting completely different results, sometimes within three months, sometimes within six months, sometimes would take them 18 months to get to different results. Okay. But it's not the same people doing the same type of work. I feel like more of what we do is to help organizations not do the things that hurt them. That's that's actually really well stated, yeah. Right. Well, and the things that are hurting them were actually things that were fixing a a problem they had once upon a time, but they have different problems now. They're just they're taking the wrong medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. This is great. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you. If if people want to reach out to you with further questions, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? That's uh, where I get the benefit of having a little bit more unique name. But uh, yeah, Dragos Dimitriou. And my Twitter handle is the weightlifter. The weightlifter spelled weight as W-A-I-T from waiting. <laughs> uh, so the weightlifter, LinkedIn, Dragos at leadingagile.com. Cool. <laughs> all right. I'll share links to all this stuff. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day for this, man. Thank you.